Lord without the shedding of blood there's no remissions of sins amen and I'm amazed today at the churches and the people that want to do away with the blood brothers by the blood that we're redeemed amen washed forgiven pardoned set free Good to see each one of you tonight and all the visitors with us tonight. Thank God for you. Appreciate you coming. Good to have the Almost Home group with us. Amen. Miss Debbie, appreciate y'all and the good work that God has uh, y'all doing and doing in you and through you there to minister in the hour of need. Amen. We appreciate all you ladies. And uh, we, I appreciate this church. Thank Brother Mark for inviting me to come again. And I was talking to the sister and She's recollected I've been coming here 23 years. Amen. And, and, and she said, when you first started coming, you was a young man. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Time moves on, don't it, sister? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I appreciate each one of you. Thank you for your faithful prayers and your giving to the mission work and praying for us. And, and uh, just in a couple of weeks, we'll be heading back to Africa and uh, do church planting work. And uh, then from Africa, I'll be going to Austria for another week of ministry uh, before I come home. And, uh, but we thank you for your prayers and honored that you've come to hear the Word of God. And if you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to turn to the book of Daniel. And thank you, ladies, uh, for the wonderful meal, the fellowship that we had tonight. And it's always good to fellowship with the brethren, sisters, amen, and thank you for your labor of love to provide the meal for us. And it's been good. Daniel chapter 3 will be our text. And I was going to preach another series of messages on the realization of revival. And But last night as I went to bed, the Lord began to stir my heart as I was seeking the Lord. And this is what He laid upon my heart. And um, so we began looking at it and been studying it. And, and uh, to this, tonight's message is just going to get us up on the porch, okay? And then tomorrow night we'll go up in the house. And so we're just going to kind of lay a little foundation tonight to get us started and moved in the right direction and to see what the Lord has for us. And so each night, for the next four nights, we will be preaching out of the book of Daniel. We'll be in Daniel chapter 3 tonight, tomorrow night, and in chapter 4 uh, the next two nights. And um, so uh, as we come to Daniel chapter 3 verse 1, let us stand in the reverence of the reading of God's Word. If you're not able to stand, it's okay. You don't have to. <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubics and the breadth of it six cubics. He set it up in the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent together together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princesses, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together 
unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it's commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at the time that you hear the sound of the the harp, the, the carnet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning fire furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the carnet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, the languages, fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this hour of the preaching of Thy Word, Lord, all is vain unless Your Spirit quickens that Word and makes it alive. We're asking You to work in the realm of the Spirit that we cannot do in the realm of the flesh. We're totally dependent upon You. You must increase and we must decrease. Lord, captivate my heart, my thoughts, my mind, my mouth to say everything You want said. Don't want to say nothing You don't want said. You said, I, if I be lifted up, I would draw all men unto Me. Lord, we want to exalt You, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Help us, Lord, in these last days that You have given us this time to seek You, to come together as the saints of God, to worship You and praise You. So Lord God, tonight, visit every heart. Do a work in every life. Change us from glory to glory into Your glorious image. Help us, O Lord, is our cry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. may be seated. He's got so many gadgets. Yes, sir, it's running. <laughs> All right, he's got so many gadgets on me. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now, Daniel, his life spanned the whole 70 years of the captivity of the Jews in Babylon. Daniel himself had been carried away in the first deportation by Nebuchadnezzar. And he came and he destroyed Jerusalem. He plowed it up and he burned it. He destroyed the house of God. He took away the treasures out of the house of God and the golden vessels. And he led captive all the people that could benefit his kingdom. And But all the poor and the afflicted and the affirmed, he left them behind in desolation. And so Daniel, in his heart, in chapter 1, he purposed in his heart because of his convictions, his commitment, and his consecration to the Lord, he refused to eat the meat from the king's table. He would not compromise his convictions with holy God. And therefore, in chapter 1, verse 20, it says, God, he, he raised up Daniel and made his wisdom to be ten times greater than all the musicians and the astrologers and the soothsayers and the wise men of Babylon. 
Now God always has a witness, amen, if the witness will recognize God. And so as we see here, Daniel, his life is used of God. And in the twelve chapters of Daniel, out of the twelve, nine of them reveals revelations and dreams and visions. Daniel is God's mouthpiece to the Gentile world and to the Jewish world, amen, revealing that God's plan in the current situation and also for the future. Daniel is encouraging the Jews of God's sovereign plan, even in captivity, amen, after the times of the Gentiles are over. God is going to establish His kingdom. Now there's one permanent theme running throughout the book of Daniel that supersedes all the other themes of Daniel and that's God's sovereign control over the affairs of men, over the rulers of the world, over the kings of the world and nations of the world and God will ultimately set up by the true and the living king, the true king, amen, and his eternal kingdom. Listen what it says in Daniel 2 verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. Now who's setting it up? The God of heaven. Which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. But it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest, that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron and the brass, that the clay and the silver and the gold, and the great God hath made known uh, to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation of it is sure. In other words, in spite of all the chaos and the confusion and the corruption and the confinement of God's people, He is proclaiming God's still sovereign. He's still in control. He's still on the throne. Brother, that's what the church needs to understand. (coughs) The church today is distracted, amen, by this crazy, chaotic culture in which we're living. Brother, we need to keep our eyes upon the sovereign God. He is in charge and He is in control. Now, What I want to look at in these four nights is two dreams. The first dream that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed is about a nation. It's prophetic. And that's what we begin looking at tonight. Then when we get to chapter 4, the next dream that Nebuchadnezzar dreams is personal. It's about Nebuchadnezzar. And we'll get into that. And so we see here that God is working through dreams (coughs) to reveal His truth to His people. Now, the church is the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the called out. It is the separated, it's the sanctified, saved and set apart for the service of God. 
The Bible says in, in the book of Acts in chapter 7 and verse 38, it talks about the church in the wilderness and he's talking about Israel, amen. They, Israel is God's sanctified people that God has made an everlasting eternal covenant with. And brother, we are still in the process of God unfolding that covenant and bringing it to pass. So, they're the church in the wilderness. The brother sang the song, Amen. We're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. We're a peculiar people. We're a holy nation. That we should show forth the praises of Him that's called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. Brother, we are the children of God. Saved by the Most High God. 1 Corinthians 6.11 You are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, we are sanctified, set apart for the service of God to glorify God. We're the church. Now remember what Jesus <coughs> asked Peter in Matthew 16, Peter, who do men say that I the Son of Man am? He said, well, some say you're Jeremiah or Elijah or, or, or John the Baptist or one of the prophets. Alright, but Peter, who do you say that I am? He said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood's not revealed that unto you, but my Father that's in heaven, and thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church don't catch that part. The gates of hell is not going to prevail against the true church. Just as God's planned it, just as God's purposed it, amen, His Son should have a bride, and that bride's the church, amen. amen. Now there's a true church, and there's a false church. The true church are the blood-washed, the redeemed, the regenerated by the Spirit of God, those that are reconciled and clothed by the righteousness of God, clothed in His garments of righteousness. Brother, we've been birthed by His Spirit into His family and we are the children of the Most High God. That's the true church, amen. He said, flesh and blood's not revealed that unto you, but my Father's in heaven. Brother, when you lost, it's the Holy Ghost of God that takes the Word of God and convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment to come and reveals to me I'm a damned, doomed sinner headed for hell without God, without hope, amen. But that same Spirit takes the same Scriptures, reveals to me there's a Savior, and that Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I come to Him. I call to Him. I confess my sins to Him. I cry out to Him. Amen. And He cleanses me. He clothes me. And He converts me. Amen. By His grace and His mercy. And makes me His child. The true church born again. But listen, there's the false church. Everybody that goes to church ain't the church. I mean, there's the religious. You see, you got the redeemed and there's the religious. I mean, the religious, we come, you know, for popularity and prestige and for prominence to be seen, to be heard. The religious. 
Matthew 7, 21 tells us, many in that day, talking about the day of judgment, many in that day is going to say, Lord, Lord, see, they know what to call Him. Remember, He said, you serve Me with your lips, but your heart's far from Me. Salvation's of the heart. And if your heart's been changed, He puts, the Bible said in Hebrews, He puts His Word in your mind and in your heart. He'll write them, amen. When you become a child of God, you're going to want to go to church. You're going to want to be baptized. Why? The Lord commanded it. He's Lord of my life. He's my Savior. You'll want to be in the house of God with the people of God to hear the Word of God. But meaning that day, He's going to say, Lord, Lord, did we prophesy in Your name? And Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out devils and demons? And Lord, Lord, in Your name we've done many mighty wonderful works. He said, yeah, you, you, you was very religious. You went to church every time they opened the doors and you done this and you done that. But depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You were never born again. You never called upon me. You never confessed your sins to me. You never cried out to me. Depart from me. You were satisfied being religious. Never redeemed. So there's the true church and the false church. The ecclesia is the called out, sanctified, separated for the service of God. Now, I brought this up for this reason. Now, now by the way, this is really the essence of these this messages that I'll be bringing. We need revival, and we all agree we need revival. But a lot of us, our definition of revival is different from what revival is. What we need a revival of is just a revival of the obedience to the Word of God. Brother, if the people of God will just line up in obedience with the Word of God as the Spirit of God leads us, Brother God would work individually in our lives for His glory. So the problem in the church today, now I'm talking about the church as a whole globally, is ecumenicalism. Ecumenicalism is a worldwide unity and cooperation. It is man controlling his destiny without deity. We don't need God. We see ecumenicalism is alive and well politically. It's called the UN. After World War II, the world got together, ecumenical, political ecumenicalism, and formed the UN, and the UN is going to stop all the wars. We're going to quit. We're going to stop, you know, larger countries from invading smaller countries. Well, how's that work? Ever since it was formed, we've had country invading country and war after war. There's never been a day of peace on this earth. Not only we see here there's political ecumenicalism, but there's scientific ecumenicalism, and it's called the WHO, the World Health Organization. The World Health Organization is scientists that get together and they study demographics, they study geography, and they study uh, 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 diseases. And when they begin to break out, they study those diseases and they predict pandemics so they can 
Cut it off. Well, how'd that work? And so we just come through the pandemic and epidemic of COVID. Not only we see ecumenicalism politically and scientifically, but financially. It's called the World Bank. The World Bank, they come together and they help little countries that are struggling financially and they bolster up their economy, amen. They don't want their economy to collapse and cause hardship, amen. So the World Bank is supposed to prevent that. I go to countries where they, their economy has collapsed because of dictatorship and they took their money, their currency, literally, and threw it in the streets it's garbage, and they have taken the American dollar, and that's their currency. And by the way, there's banks failing in America right now. So how's that working? Not only we see ecumenicalism politically, scientifically, and financially, but environmentally. This is called the WEP, the World Environmental Program. I mean, brother, we gotta we gotta quit burning diesel and gasoline, the fossil fuels, and man, we gotta go solar, we gotta go wind, we gotta get all the plastic out of the out of the ocean, and and man, we 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 gotta you know we gotta go all electric. And brother, this movement is gathering more power globally through unification than any other movement. The Pope. Between the year of 20 and 21, in his New Year address to the world, globally had this message for the world. He said, well, if we are going to save ourselves, we are going to have to come together globally and corporately in unity to save the earth. Only when we save the earth can we save ourselves. You know what the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 10 and 11? This earth, the elements are going to burn and melt with a fervent heat. This earth is going to burn. You can't save this earth. Humanity, we're not here to save this earth. Humanity's under a curse. This earth is under a curse. Man is under the curse of sin. Amen. His mind and heart is depraved in darkness and deceived by the devil. He's dead in his trespasses and sins. Man needs to be redeemed. Man needs to be regenerated. Man needs to be reconciled. Salvation is of the Lord. But this earth, it's groaning and travailing, amen, even tonight. And brother, it too has to be redeemed and regenerated and reconciled. That's why it's called a new heaven and a new earth. This one is under a curse. The curse of sin. And so therefore, <laughs> we see the ecumenicalism and environmentalism. The World Religious Summit, one religious leader said this, See, annually they have all the world's religions come together globally and corporately, amen, and they sit around and chew this and that, the chicken fat, and try to figure out how to save the world. And this is what one of them said. God has a dream. 
And if God's dream is going to come to pass, we are going to have to come together and work together in unity and corporately to save the earth. Because only then will God see His dream come to pass. Folks, that's heathen. That's humanism. God does not have a dream. God's got a divine plan and purpose for His pleasure. 2 Timothy 3, In the last days perilous times shall come. That word perilous is dangerous and deadly and demonic. We're in them, amen. We're people. We're children are going to school and killing children. Man, you could be killed at Walmart, the shopping center, or the sanctuary, amen, or at school. These are dangerous times, deadly times, demonic times. Men shall be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Brother, that's today. Having a form of godliness. There's that religious crowd, amen. But denying the power thereof, the convicting power of the Holy Ghost of God. To live with convictions, amen, and commitment. And be consecrated. To the things of God. That God might be glorified. Remember what I said? God always has a witness if the witness will honor God. What did He say? You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. We're saved to serve. To be a witness to His glory. And So we see here in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, it says, oh, there's going to come a falling away. There's going to come a time they're not going to endure sound doctrine. Amen. They're going to hunt teachers having itching ears and they're going to turn from the truth and turn to fables. Brother, that's the day. There's so much wickedness. Listen. I, I, oh, I don't want to go up that road. So we see here there's religious ecumenicalism and it's called the whore. Revelation 17, it said, The great whore, she sets upon many waters. And the kings have made themselves drunk with her fornication. And then in verse 15 of that chapter, it tells you what the great waters is. It said, The great waters that the whore sets upon is the multitudes and kingdoms and nations and languages that all corporately in unity come under her authority. Ecumenicalism. It's alive and well. And so we see here there's a prophetic application to the text. Now that we read, we get in there. The prophetic application to the text is, now in that, Nebuchadnezzar is a type of the Antichrist. Now the Antichrist, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelations, that when he comes riding his white horse, he, there's a crown that's been given unto him. That's Stephanos. It's a, it's a temporary crown, but it's been given unto him. He has a bow. The bow is power and authority, but he has no arrows. Why? He's not coming for war. He's coming preaching peace. Peace. But it's a false peace. Because he leads the world economically, religiously, politically, environmentally, amen, in ecumenicalism as they come under his world dominant power. 
we, if we will all get along, we can just have peace. And so, he's the Antichrist. That means he acts like Christ, he imitates Christ, and he, think, he makes the world think he is Christ. Because he loves everybody, and everybody loves him, and he just wants peace, and he wants to save the earth, and he wants us all just to get along. The Antichrist. But then, the Bible says the image that we'll get to later is the abomination of desolation. That means in the middle of the three and a half years, the Antichrist will go up into the temple that he's allowed the Jews to rebuild, and he will say to the Jews, I am Christ. I am God. And brother, that's when all hell's going to break loose. Because you remember, the book of Revelations, we get so lost in the types and the images and the shadows and, and the symbols and we lose the meaning. The simple meaning of the book of Revelation is Revelation 1.1. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. To who? Israel. Why? Because God ain't through with them. God's still working, amen. His sovereign plan. He's made an eternal covenant with them. He's not forgotten them. Brother, when the Antichrist goes into the temple and says, I'm God, you got to worship me, then it's going to dawn on them. Jesus Christ, way back yonder, was our Messiah. The revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He is our Messiah. And many of them will love not their lives unto death and they'll be put to death over this confession and this commitment. To who Jesus Christ is. So the fiery furnace. Now, now you know, people that want to doubt the Word of God deny the, the, the scoffers and the, the scholars and, and, and the skeptics that's always trying to disprove the Word of God, Brother Homer. You know, most time where they go, they go to the book of Daniel. You know why? Because its prophecies are so accurate over thousands of years of human history, they said there's no way that could have been written by man. Well, they're exactly right. It ain't written by man. It's written by God. As the Spirit of God moved upon man, man wrote. He didn't understand all he was writing. Amen. He's just writing inspiration of God. So that proves to us the book of Daniel is written by God, not man. But those, this is what they say. It is so accurate throughout human history of the world that it had to be written even after the death of Jesus Christ. And to fool people, they just put Daniel's name on it because he was an Old Testament character and just said it was written in the 6th century B.C. Well, there's a problem with that. If you believe that, you're calling Jesus a liar. Because in Matthew 24, verse 15, Jesus mentions the abomination of desolation, the man of perdition, that will go into the temple, amen, and he said, then will come the end of the Gentiles as Daniel the prophet has said. So even Jesus said, Daniel wrote this book. It's not written by man. 
I mean, you know, man's intellect, but it is penned by man. Holy men of God wrote as they was moved by the Holy Ghost of God. So this word, amen, is a prophetic word to God's sanctified, set-apart people. That's the prophetic application. And in the three Hebrews, uh, they're Israel. Now Daniel, if you'll notice, when you study chapter 3, Daniel's not even mentioned. He's a type of the church that is taken away. Taken out of the tribulation period. But now what I want to get into in the last time that I have is the personal application. How can this text help us in the here and the now? How can I apply it to my life to help me? So as we get into it, amen? Notice first of all the deification. In verse 1 and 2, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubits, his breadth was six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dor in the province of Babylon. Now here, we see deification. Now, remember Daniel wouldn't eat the meat from the king's table. God gave him wisdom ten times greater than all the wisdom of the astrologers and soothsayers and the wise men of Babylon. Chapter 2, verse 1. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep broke from him. He's had a dream. It troubles him. He can't sleep. He don't even remember the dream. So he goes to his astrologers, his wise men, his soothsayers, and he says to them, interpret to me the dream and tell me the dream because I've even forgotten the dream itself. I don't even know what I dreamed. And they said, King, this is impossibility. Man can't interpret that. We don't even know. You've got to tell us the dream before we interpret it. It infuriated him. And you know what he said? He said, kill them all. They're a bunch of fakes and frauds and quacks. Kill them all. So they're going to gather them all up and kill them and they go to find Daniel because he's a wise man. And Daniel said, wait a minute. He said, king, if you would give me some time. And he went and got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they sought the Lord. And the Lord gives Daniel the interpretation. Why? Because Daniel has kept himself consecrated. See the importance, folks, of keeping ourselves consecrated? You never know how God wants to work in you and through you for His glory. See, God always has a witness if the witness will recognize God. And he revealed to Daniel the dream. And he goes before the king and said, King, your dream was was an image with a head of gold, a chest of silver, a belly of brass, and legs of iron, and feet were half iron and half clay with ten toes. He said, but then there come a stone 
that's not cut out with men's hands, and it came out of heaven and it smote the image and broke it to pieces, that when the wind blew like the shaft being blown from the summer's threshing floor, it was all blown away. And that stone grew and was to a mighty mountain and filled up the whole earth. And the king said, yeah, that's what I dream. He said, now here's the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar, that head of gold, that's you. That's your kingdom. But after your reign and rule, and then Babylon will fall to the Medes and the Persians. That's the silver. They're going to rule for a while, and a couple of hundred years, and they're going to fall to the Grecians, the belly of brass. They'll rule a couple of hundred years, and then Rome, the two legs of iron, for five, over 500 years they're going to reign. And then the feet of clay, the ten toes and the ten federations is what's taking place today. But it's all in place. And you see, that image that Nebuchadnezzar interpreted, that Daniel interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar, has spanned the times of the Gentiles. And when the abomination of desolation takes place by the Antichrist, folks, that'll be the end of it. It's over. And that stone not cut out with men's hands is the Lord Jesus Christ. And brother, He's coming to break the kings and the rulers of the world to set up His kingdom. His eternal kingdom. What I want to say to the church, amen, we can be encouraged, amen. Our King is coming. We're right on time. And brother, everything is unfolding right before our very eyes. It should instill in us an urgency of the gravity, amen, of the hour in which we live to live for God. So, here we see the interpretation. Now notice, it said that Nebuchadnezzar, he made the whole image of gold. Sixty cubits high, six cubits wide. Six is the number of man. If you'll notice in the text, six times, from verse 1 to 7, it says, which Nebuchadnezzar set up. Which Nebuchadnezzar set up. He said that six times. Six is the number of man. So what we're dealing here is, is man's will. Man's work and man's wonder of himself. Self-deification. Self-exaltation. Self-glorification. Because he made the whole image of gold. It reveals the, the wit and the workmanship and the wealth of man and man's ability and man's uh, uh, achievements and man's advancements. Amen. Man thinks he's really something. We can't even figure out how they laid the pyramids. All of our technology and more we got the world internet right there in the palm of our hand. Amen. We know everything about everything. Just ask us. But did you know the very stones that are in the temple mount, some of them are larger and heavier than the stones that were laid in the pyramids and they still don't even know how they laid them. And they're so fitly together, you can't even put a credit card between them. 
So we see the achievements of man, self-deification. Remember, that's what Adam and Eve fell to. You can become your own gods. You can become your own gods. Brother, let me tell you something. That appeals to the flesh. I can go where I want to go. I can do what I want to do. I can drink what I want to drink. I can smoke what I want to smoke. I can chew what I want to chew. And I can do what I want to do. And I won't have to answer to God. I won't have to answer to no authority anywhere because I will be my own authority. And that's the popular thinking of the day. Self-deification. It's His desires, His dreams, and His deification. But not only we see in verse 1 and 2 the deification, but listen, there's the dedication in verse 3. Notice verse 3 of our text. And it said, all the people. He said, now, when you hear the music, amen, it said, you got all the sheriffs and the rulers and the providence all together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king set up. They stood before the image. They stood. They're paying homage. Here's the dedication. Nebuchadnezzar wants their attention. He wants their accolades. He wants their allegiance. Now brethren, in every government that has gone into communism and socialism, every dictator has erected images and idols of themselves. And every public square and every public building, and when you come in, you must pay allegiance and homage to them because they have deified themselves. Hitler did it. China's done it. Korea's done it. Saddam Hussein's done it. Korea's done it. North Korea and Cuba. When you graduate in Cuba from high school, you have to bow to the image of the man that brought communism to that country or you don't get your diploma. Folks, that kind of activity is on its way. Let's keep going. They stood before it. But not only see here deification and the dedication, but listen, there's a demand. Look at verse 4. They commanded, they herald cried aloud, to you it's commanded, O people and nations and languages, that the time that you hear the sound of the carnet, the flute, and the harp, the sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. Now, brother, they're demanding now. He cried aloud. You know what we call this in church? We call them worship leaders today. I mean, we'll have a worship leader in the church. You think you can't have a meeting without a worship leader. They'll tell you when to stand up. they tell you when to sit down. They'll tell you now, now you got to stand up. If you love Jesus, you got to stand up. Well, you better smile. You know all the... Cliches like you baptizing pickle juice and all that stupid stuff. Land a guilt trip. If you don't smile, you don't love Jesus. 
You got to clap now. You better clap. If you don't clap, you're not spiritual. And you don't feel like standing up. You don't feel like clapping. But you're going to stand up and clap because this guy with dippity do and his hair standing up, amen, commanded you. Well, who are you doing it for? The Bible said those that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You listen, you may have got a phone call getting out of your car coming into church that a loved one's just passed away suddenly by an accident or something and it's caught you off guard and you come in and you sit down. Your heart is broken. The Spirit of God is ministering peace and comfort to you in the worship service. Amen. But here's this guy. Well, you better stand up if you love Jesus. You better clap if you love Jesus. You better smile. And you put on a fake smile and you clap because you don't want people thinking thinking you don't love Jesus. That ain't worship, folks. Worship is in spirit and in truth. Now if the Holy Ghost God moves on you to take off running, take off running. It ain't going to bother me a bit. But He also said, be still and know that I'm God. Brother, remember Elijah's in that cave. Brother, he was wanting God to move. And brother, God wasn't in the earthquake. God wasn't in the fire. God wasn't in the, in the shaking. Amen. He was in the still, small voice. Brother, those that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. As the Spirit of God moves upon you. If He tells you to clap, clap. If He tells you to shout, shout. But I have people going out of church all the time. Well, preacher, boy, I really want to say amen tonight. Why didn't you? If the Spirit of God moves on you to say amen and you don't, you're grieving and quenching the Spirit of God in the service. I was in a worship service in England. I was passing through and, and, and had a night there, a layover before I flew home. And so I went to Westminster Abbey. That's where they crown all the kings, you know. But they pride themselves that they've been a thousand years every day a worship service in that abbey. And so I went and worshiped with them. Got there at night, Bo got up in my little pew and had the songbook, had the, had the Bible, and they got in their pulpit, you know, and they had two preachers. I don't understand that, but one expounded, and he was in the book of Isaiah. He expounded, he would read the text, and this one was expounded on. Boy, as quiet as a church mouse. And finally, he struck a toward me, Brother Mark, and I said, Amen! Man, ever boy, they thought oh, that's crazy. <laughs> amen. That's like we don't do that here. Amen. Listen, folks, if we're gonna get right with God, as the Spirit of God speaks, as the Spirit of God moves, we're gonna have to respond. And you see, there's a control. In verse 5, he said, Now you fall, when you hear the music, you fall down and you worship. Folks, there's the fraud of today going on. The fraud that, you know, they, they, they cause an emergency to take away our liberty and freedom. And they say it's for your good. And you can disagree with me if you want to. I won't argue with it, but I think COVID was a playbook for that. One man shut this country down. Now they analyze them where they went wrong and what they did right. They're going to put it all together and Brother Faye try it again. Control. That's why we got the critical race theory and intersectionality and social justice. 
And when you go to your school board meeting and you stand up against this uh, immorality and ungodliness and wickedness, you're called a domestic terrorist for standing for what's true. But you listen, brethren. Liberalism leads to socialism, socialism to communism, and communism to totalitarianism, and totalitarianism it's Satanism because it's the worship of one. Satan said, I will ascend into heaven. I'll sit over the stars of God and I will be God. Self-deification. That's what we're dealing with. Control. Now let me hurry up and get through. Karl Marx and Frederick Engels published the Communist Manifesto in 1848. It's designed, they claim, to liberate the working class. They will eliminate the clash between the haves and the have-nots by bringing in all the private property under the authority of the government and we will distribute it equally. Uncommonly to every person. Well, the problem is that is dictatorship. When he gets it all, he wants to keep it all. And he don't want to share it none. And brother, when they brought this in 1917, Lenin brought it. He brought a revolution and a transformed the government into communism. He demanded a complete disestablishment of the church. You know why? Enemy number one to that ideology is Christianity. Christianity. Brother, it is time. It is time for the redeemed of the Lord to say so. Brother, we've got to understand. Listen, he said, put on the whole armor of God and stand, stand, stand in the power of His might. We're not fighting for victory. Victory's already ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But brother, He's looking for somebody that will stand and be a witness. Amen. Be a willing witness in this generation. Now I'm finna quit. Hang on. Verse 6 we see, Whosoever falleth not down in worship shall the same hour be cast into the burning furnace. Now here's the consequences. We've seen the control. We've seen the command. But now's the consequences. If you don't bow, we're going to throw you in the fire. Everybody bow. The majority bows. And here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What are we going to do? Well, I don't know what you think we ought to do. Well, everybody else is bowing. Well, I don't think we ought to bow. But listen, if we don't bow, we're going to lose our power. Nebuchadnezzar gave us power over certain provinces. We're going to lose our popularity. We will lose our prestige. We will lose our position. No, we, we can't bow. But listen, if we don't bow, we're going to lose everything. But listen, we, we can't bow. Why not? Listen, everybody else is bowing. If we bow, they can't accuse us because they're doing it. Yeah, but we got a problem. What's the problem? Exodus 20. God's Word says, Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. Thou shalt have no graven images and likeness in heaven and earth and under the earth. 
And thou shalt not bow thyself down and worship them. They got a problem. They know the Word of God. Now church, here we are. I'm fixing to quit. Here we are. We know the Word of God. We know truth. Now the issue is, are we going to compromise or stand? We're going to make up our mind. Because if we stand, there will be consequences. And you let me tell you something. The majority is not always right. The majority wanted to crucify Jesus. When Noah got on the boat, he was a minority. But when he got off, he was the majority. Amen. (laughs) Brother, we're going to have to decide. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that holy and acceptable, perfect will of God. You know what they're sitting there discussing? Listen, if we do bow, we're going to lose the praise and proof and perfect will of God. We will no longer be witnesses of God. Listen, that word conform means don't, it's pressure. Listen, church, this is not the hour to allow the world to pressure us. It's, the world is pressuring, the culture is pressuring the country, it's pressuring the community, it's pressuring the church. And the church is conforming. We need men and women of God that's going to be convicted. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away in the lust of it, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. And in verse 7, it said, All the people fell down. We're going to make up our mind, church, where we're going to stand. Father, tonight we need a revival of just a simple obedience to the truth that we know. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciple indeed. And you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Father, we pray a liberating truth right now has spoke to hearts and lives. So men and women may have been compromising lately in their spiritual walk. Compromising with the world. Compromising wanting their own way. Father, tonight you have convicted us of sin. Father, tonight that we want to come. And Lord, we want you, Lord, to consecrate us. That we will in these last days be the witness that you've called us to be. Lord, help us. Right here tonight, if there's one that's lost... Lord, may Your Spirit draw them to Yourself and save them tonight.
Call them. Do that supernatural work, only you can work. And Father, for the church of God, Lord, that right here tonight we would say, as we move forward, I shall not be moved. I will stand upon the eternal truths of God's Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. As we stand tonight, Pastor, be here. Number 198 as we stand.